teenage boy in prison before he's even grown the illness of a loved one a widow no one calls but there is one solution an answer for it all there is power in the name of jesus there is hope there is strength and victory to claim there is healing in his holy presence there is power in his name a nation needing mercy fighting for her life a church that needs revival a broken man and wife but in the name of jesus chains of bondage fall prayers are heard and answered when god's children call there is power in the name of jesus there is hope there is strength and victory holy presence there is power in his name there is power in the name of jesus there is hope there is strength and victory to claim there's healing in his holy presence There, we should be on now. Wow. Okay, good. We're definitely on now. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles. Turn over the book of Galatians chapter 4. Tonight, immediately following the service, if you are inclined to have a piece of dessert, you're welcome to go upstairs and eat a piece of dessert or take one with you even as far as that goes. This morning, of course, at the uh, we, we had a number of you, I guess, volunteered to bring in desserts and uh, for whatever reason, however it worked out, there was really just so much left over. We did not want to waste any of it. We thought, boy, after I tried a couple, I said, there's no way we want to get rid of these. And so we decided we're just going to open it up. And uh, there's quite a few desserts up there. Uh, you might want to head on up there tonight, grab something. You don't have to stay long. Uh, it's not like we're going to some fellowship. I'm telling you right now, don't expect me to hang out tonight till 10 o'clock or something crazy, you know. Uh, if you want to get up there, get something and, and, and take it with you even if you have to. Uh, that's fine too. But boy, I tell you what, there were some good desserts up there and we don't want them to go to waste. And I mean, there were a number of them we didn't even put out because 
for whatever reason, just, you know, there wasn't as many as we had anticipated. You just never know about funerals. You really don't. And so uh, the, the, they're, they're going to be fresh and they're going to be delicious. And wow, let me tell you, you got to get up there if you want something and if you want something sweet tonight. And they say you are what you eat. Uh, I, I need a couple pieces of those after tonight on the way in. I'll tell you what, I could use some sweetening up. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I tell you, I'm so angry on the way in and some, something happened driving. You know how it is when you get driving and somebody, you know, I cut somebody off and they were mad at me and boy, I got so mad I wanted to turn around and chase them down and my wife was trying to treat, tell, tell me to be a Christian and I was having a hard time doing that. And that ain't no lie, man. I had to get up in my office and pray for him. came up. I was so angry. You ever get so angry? You just, oh. Yeah, I know. And I realized there, right then and there, I'm still flesh. Well, I'll tell you what. And then the worst part is I can't help but confess. So here I am confessing now. Isn't that pitiful? Most of you would have just kept it quiet. And you'd have been better for it, but not me. I'm that, oh boy, that was crazy, right? So anyway, anyway, I'll tell you what. So I better get up there and eat a piece of pie too so I can get sweeter. My wife will appreciate that tonight. I'll be nice and sweet. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. I tell you what, this passage is an amazing passage, isn't it? We've been dealing with this for the last couple of weeks, and we're talking about when love is loathed. And it says over in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, it says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that, ye have known God, or rather are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which is in my flesh ye despise not, nor rejected, but receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that If it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. I am therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Again, we talked about this passage. We've been addressing this issue over the last few weeks. And we just said basically very quickly that, you know, these Galatians, uh, Paul had reached out to them and Paul had shared the gospel where once they were in bondage to paganism. Now they find themselves free indeed in Jesus Christ. But then these Judaizers and others come along and start to say to them, well, listen now, you can't just get rid of the law. You're going to have to embrace that law. And so they tried to put them under the law, the very law that had condemned them in the first place. Now they're trying to say, you have to keep that law to be saved. And boy, so now instead of being in bondage to paganism, they're in bondage to the law itself. And that's really not a very good option. And so Paul's trying to help them. And he's saying, listen, be as I am. I'm, 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 I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I've been where you are. I understand what it is to that law and how important it is. But listen, I'm saved by grace through faith, just like you're saved by grace through faith. And the law is not what keeps us saved or even saves us at all. As a matter of fact, it proves to us how much we need Jesus and how much we need the grace of God. And boy, so he begins to work on them and try to help them. And he points out some of the flaws and some of the problems that are going to arise as a result of that. And boy, before it's over with, he's crying out to them and he's saying to them, listen, you know, I'm afraid of you. Will I have wasted all my energy? Will I have wasted all my time? Will I have given all of this effort to nothing? 
Are you ultimately going to disregard everything you've heard and everything you've learned and turn from the very wonderful path that you started traveling on? And boy, Paul's heart is broken. He's not really, you know, he makes it clear here. Let me see if I can find it. I'm kind of moving a little quicker even through these little notes that I have than normally I would even because we have so much to get through. But it's not that he's upset with the people in the sense that that he's mad at them, that he's angry with them. He says in the passage, let me see here, he makes it clear when he says, um, um, I've, have I bestowed labor unto you? He says, brethren, I beseech you to be as I am. Uh, you know what? I, I don't even want to go there. I just want to get to the new material. I'm sorry. I'm wasting your time right now, and I'm a little bit flustered, okay? So let me move on very quickly here. But anyway, the Galatians had opened, uh, opened their arms to the Apostle Paul. He had opened their arms to them. And Paul had, had, had been a blessing to them. Matter of fact, he was like an angel to them. He was like Jesus Christ himself, he says. But hold on, something desperately wrong takes place here. Before it's over with, he turns to these Galatians and, boy, he says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, I'm, I'm putting you in your place. I'm trying to help you understand you're wrong. I want you to realize that you're going down the wrong pathway. It's not going to lead anywhere good. And, and, and so now he has these Judaizers and others that have come from other areas even and trying to take hit these people that loved him so desperately and so much and turn their heart toward Paul. Boy, I'll tell you what, I, I was reading here not too long ago, just the other day in my devotions and talking about how, how they looked at Paul and how they despised Paul at certain points and, and, and not just the Galatians, but others. I mean, here's a man of God. I mean, and yet there were people that looked at Paul and said, you know, man, that guy who we once loved for giving us the gospel, we don't get it with him anymore. He's just a little bit too crazy for us. He's a little bit too, probably a little bit too fanatical. He's a little bit too straight-laced maybe even. That's a problem, you know, that was a problem. And so nonetheless, uh, the Apostle Paul here, is, he's, he's letting them know. He's saying, listen, you guys would have plucked your eyes out, I believe. You'd have given me your eyes. You loved me so much, you'd have done anything it took to keep the gospel going forward. You'd have done anything necessary to continue with this uh, progress that we were seeing there in Galatia. And yet, here we are now. Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, I'll tell you what, that was a sad day, I'm sure, in the apostle's life. We said, well then, how does the man of God become your enemy? Well, when the truth confronts, we said. When the truth confronts. Not only that, when does the man of God become your enemy? When the truth convicts. When does the man of God become your enemy? We said, when the truth condemns. And so... We noted those three things. And then we started talking about this issue the other day. We said, okay, if the pastor's becoming or has become your enemy, you know, what, what can you do about that? What can a brother or sister do about that? Number one, we said, remember what the pastor's done for you and your family in the past. Remember what he's done for you and your family in the past. Number two, we said, don't forget what his job and responsibility is. You know, we understand the last time we looked at the Bible that the pastor's job is to, is to help guide the sheep. You know, he's there to, to, to keep them, uh, you know, care for them and to protect and watch over them, to teach and so forth. I mean, he's, you know, he's got a major responsibility, responsibility there. He's watching for your souls, he says. That's what the Bible says a pastor ought to do. Watch for your souls. And so we, we, don't, we can't forget what his job and responsibility is. Number three, give him the benefit of the doubt. Give him the benefit of, a, of the doubt. Assume he has good intentions. Right? We talked a little bit about some of that. Number four, we, finally, we said, and we, we ended with this one, ask yourself, 
Has his position changed or has mine? Ask yourself the question, has his position changed or has mine? And, and so we spent some time addressing that issue. And so we got through four, uh, four of those, and there are seven of them, and I want to continue with those. And then if we get through those next three, then we're going to actually see and ask, what can the pastor do about this? What, what's his, what should he do? How should he address this in his own heart and his own mind? Because even as you, as, as the, the, the person involved in that process, need to know how to address that, the pastor needs to know how to, how to deal with that too. And you say, well, there's no, there's no pastors in here. That's all right. You, you need to know how a pastor ought to handle it and, and, and maybe how the direction he should go. And I've given this some thought, and we'll talk a little bit about that side of it as well. I don't know about you, but I'm one of these people that likes to understand things. You know, you can tell me all day long, uh, well, you know, um, how does that watch work? Well, you just wind it up and you let it go. Well, yeah, but how's it work? I know you wind it up, but what's going on? How does it work inside? I, I want to understand what makes that thing turn. You know, why is that big hand turn and that little hand turn? Well, because it's, it's a watch. I want to know how, how it works. And, you know, sometimes in the Christian life like this, we're talking about a subject and we're saying, okay, well, from this perspective, here it is. Well, now, how is it from the other side? I want to understand the whole picture. I want to see the whole thing. And that's kind of what I want to share as we move along here. So, nonetheless, we've already addressed four of these issues. Let's go ahead and consider the fifth and move right along tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. And, Lord, again, I'm um, looking forward, Father, to what you're going to do tonight. Lord, thank you, Father, for the simplicity of your word. And, Lord, um, we are grateful, Father, for just um, how things went today uh, in the earlier services and we thank you, Father, for how you met with us and, and, and the family and the church family today. But now tonight, Lord, we ask you to meet with us again tonight. And Lord, may you speak to our hearts through your blessed book, the Word of God. Holy Spirit of God, may you come on me and, Father, anoint me and help me, Father, just to proclaim your truth. And Lord, just bless your people now. May their ears be anointed that they may hear. And not just from a man, but you, the Master. Oh God, how desperately we are for your touch and to hear from you and heaven. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So, again, what do we do here? Uh, we, we mentioned it already, but, you know, um, I'm sorry. I, I've got 12 pages of notes up here, okay? And I knew I was supposed to put them in a book, and I didn't do it, okay? So as I'm going through 12 pages, I'm looking for the one page that I need to restate the question exactly the way I restated it once before. And to be quite frank with you, I'm having a very difficult time finding it, okay? So we talked about four of those things. What do you do when you've already come to the place where either you're becoming, uh, you know, you're having a problem with the pastor in that sense, or he's becoming your enemy or is your enemy? Well, in number five tonight, let me just start with that and move along here. In his, is his position on the matter rooted in scriptural principle? Is his position on the matter rooted in scriptural principle? And then you need to, again, ask yourself, is mine? Is mine? Now, now that's, those, those are important questions, okay? They're important questions. I mean, when you say, what can a brother or sister do that's struggling with this issue? They're developing an attitude of resentment or maybe even disgust toward the pastor. Maybe they've even arrived there. What can they do? Well, you ask yourself, it basically, is, is his position on the matter rooted in scriptural principle? And then turn around and ask yourself, is mine? Sadly, it isn't normally a scriptural issue that eggs on the fight, but rather a personal preference. That's usually how it works. 
Um, the pastor's maybe taking a particular position on a subject, a situation, or a particular circumstance. And again, in most cases, and this is, this is the case, and again, I'm only talking from my experience, okay? Uh, and again, I don't know. I mean, I know there's always exceptions to the rule. We'll talk about that maybe. But the fact is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to a pastor every time. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, I just do as a whole. I, I really do. I'm not saying that pastors are always right. I know this one isn't always right. In, in, in that sense, uh, I make mistakes just like even tonight. I was probably wrong for getting so angry at that person. But, but the fact is, is that, is that in this particular case, um, you know, we, pastors take positions and, and, and people take positions. And here's the problem. When there's conflict and there's, there's, there's positions where we don't like what the pastor's doing, we don't appreciate how he's addressing it or handling it. And, and we, listen, if it's, if it's not going contrary to a scriptural principle, then it's a preference. And, and that's where it becomes a problem. And now it's a matter of pride. It's a matter of who's going to, I'm not, you know, he should do it the way I want it done. Okay, well, what makes your way or his way any better than the other if that's the case? If there isn't a specific principle, biblical principle that's being addressed, as long as it doesn't go contrary to a biblical principle, then really it's just an opinion now. And so as the pastor, it's like dad. A kid may say, well, show me, show me in the Bible, Dad, why I have to be in at 10 o'clock at night. And the dad says, well, I can't show you specifically. What I can show you is, is that, that you're to obey and honor your parents. I don't like that answer. Show me in the Bible why I have to be in at 10. Well, you tell me who's right, Dad or the kid. Is the dad violating a scriptural principle by requiring his child to be in at 10? Of course not. Can he point to a specific principle or a specific passage that says children must be in by 10 o'clock? No. But there are principles that support his authority. And use a number of times when parishioners are upset with pastors. It's not necessarily over an issue that is unscriptural. It's a preference. And so, you've got to ask yourself, has the pastor become the enemy because he holds to a biblical position? Because if it's a biblical position, especially if it's clearly stated, if, if it's in, in, in the Bible and we can even look at it and read it together, then my, you're upset, you're angry with the pastor, you have a problem with your pastor. Well, in that case, isn't it really the truth that's the enemy? It's not the pastor, it's the truth now that's become the enemy. See, the Apostle Paul wasn't telling the people anything that was unscriptural. However, it was opposing some of the ideas and the thoughts and the positions that they had been receiving. They, we, they, he was telling them that there's some issues. You're, you're going astray here. You're, you're going the wrong direction here. And boy, they didn't like that. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. But Paul was trying to uphold a biblical principle, a scriptural truth. And so the people were angry with Paul. Did, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It became the truth that was the problem. Not really Paul, although he's the one that had to take it on the chin. Psalms 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Again, his position on the matter, is it rooted in scriptural principle? You have, let me give you an example. Okay, we have um, standards for our are those that are going to be, we call ministry standards. 
Okay, so you're going to be in the Sunday schools. You're going to work with our Sunday school children. And we say to the men, if you're going to work with our kids while you're involved in ministry, we want you to wear a tie. And we want you to dress in ministry attire, which is, you know, basically dress slacks and a dress shirt and a tie. And someone comes and says, show me in the Bible where you have to wear a tie to be a Sunday school teacher. Am I going to be able to show them that? Of course not. Of course not. But is it unscriptural for a pastor to require or ask that the people dress a certain way in order to represent the church, to represent themselves, and to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in a proper manner? Of course it's not. You can't show me a verse in the Bible that says I can't require it either. See, what I'm saying is it becomes a preference. Now all of a sudden it's your opinion versus your pastor's opinion. And the problem is, is that it's just like that child in the household, your household, that says to you, you don't have a right to, to, to require some, some, some kind of standard in your home. And, and you say, well, yes, I do. Well, how's come, Dad? Because I'm Dad. And you know what this church is? It's a household. I hate to say, but who's your daddy? You know, I don't know, you know, I mean, you know, it's so stupid. that I've heard that stupid thing so many times. But I mean, in reality, the pastor's dad in the church, in a sense. Now, again, if he doesn't transgress the law, if he doesn't break the word of God, then really, it's a matter of opinion. Okay, listen, go talk to your pastor about it. Try to reason with him, yeah. I don't know, but but... In reality, it, it, it's not something that, you know, getting angry at your pastor or making him the enemy because he doesn't see things eye to eye with you, that's not how it's to be handled. And sadly enough, unfortunately, even in some homes, we've watched teenagers get so angry with mom and dad, parents become the enemy because the mom and dad just are looking after the well-being of their kids. So... Is his position on the matter rooted in scriptural principle? If it is, it is certainly. If you're angry with the pastor, you're really angry at the truth. (laughs) And if it's not, you need to ask yourself, do I have a scripture that I can point to to say what I believe and think has to be the way it's done? Because if not, once again, you're not angry at the pastor because because he's violating the truth. You're angry at the pastor because he just doesn't want to do it your way. And boy, that's a dangerous place to be because it's really God's word again that you're, you're bucking because he is the under-shepherd. And we don't talk much about pastoral authority at Community Baptist Temple, but there is pastoral authority. So you do have to be careful with how you're addressing those issues. Number six, a brother or sister struggling in this area. What can they do? Well, approach him personally. We just kind of touched on that, but... Approach the pastor or approach that, that person in authority personally. If, if the pastor's upset you or you feel he's wronged you in some way, then speak to him personally. Here's, here's a good one. Don't go around asking other people their opinion. Do you know what they call that in the Bible? Gossip. That's called Gossip. Well, I'm just polling some of the folks, some of my buddies and friends. That's not how you handle a problem with the pastor. 
Do you think he has a right to have brown chairs? He should have asked us. Maybe we wanted, you know, light brown, not dark brown. Are you, we're going to be, we're going to get in a battle over something that ridiculous? <laughs> you know, building, so when we started to go into this building thing, it was so funny because I'd have all these people, boy, you guys, you're in for it, aren't you, preacher? In for what? What are you talking about? They're like, oh, you're in for it now. You're probably going to have to have a decorating committee and you're going to have to this committee and that committee and this committee. I said, what are you talking about committees? For what? A building program? But the only committee I really need is somebody to do the work. It's not that hard. I mean, we've got some talented people and we, we ask some opinions of folks in our church that seem to have some you know, ability in areas. I mean, man, I'd guarantee if we had a decorator that did that for a living at Community Baptist Temple, we'd be going, hey, why don't you come on over and give us some ideas of what you think we ought to do? There are some ladies in our church that were extremely good at, 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 at you know, just decorating colors and schemes. Can I tell you something, though? There was this guy in our church that was pretty good at it, too. Brother Kavanaugh is pretty good at the color schemes. He did all right, didn't he? Someone says, I don't like the colors. That's all right. Everybody that walks in the doors of Community Baptist Temple that I've ever met says, wow, this place looks awesome. Listen, there's no need for battles. Serves no real purpose, does it? Hey, you got a problem? No, come see the pastor. Talk to him personally. Get his, you know, see where he's at, you know, find out. Do things God's way and follow the biblical pattern. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, and again, if you, if you feel like the pastor has wronged you, then this applies to you. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Boy, I tell you, there's so many things that people try to get the pastor involved in that they shouldn't be involved in. You got a problem with somebody, go see them. Go talk to them. It's called Bible. You deal with it. Now, if there's other issues and it turns into more than it ought to and people don't handle it in a Christ-like fashion, then you have to involve other people. I get that. My goodness, this Bible's pretty clear. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Man, come talk to your pastor. And by the way, you know, um, again, your pastor is human. So that means he can make mistakes too. You know, the Apostle Paul probably didn't do everything perfect. He was human. So I'm sure he could have rubbed somebody wrong. And he may have said some things in a wrong fashion. Maybe even did some things that didn't appeal to people in a certain way. That's all right. They just need to talk to the Apostle Paul. And same, same goes here. So work on that. I mean, we're, we're dealing with, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That should never be the case, okay? We should always be open to truth. And when we aren't and we're struggling with it, then let's deal with it the Christ-like way. Go to that person. If you're, if you're a son or a daughter and you're having a problem because mom and dad are telling you something and you don't like it, go to them and talk to them. Why do you have to run to all your buddies and friends? My dad's a jerk. Blah, 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 blah. Go to your dad and say, Dad, I don't get it. Have I not proved myself to be... Uh, trustworthy yet? I mean, is there a reason why you feel this way? I mean, are you, is there something you're trying to help me with? Help me to understand what's going on here. And he says, uh, it's because I said so. And you go, okay. And then you move on if that's where he ends up. Hopefully, though, if you go to him with a sincere uh, heart like that, he'll probably sit down and talk to you a bit about it. And you may not always agree with it, but at least, you know, don't be bad-mouthing your daddy or your mama to other people. I don't need to do that. 
Number seven, if you're going to have, if, if for some reason you're struggling with some of these issues and, you know, what can a brother or sister do? You're developing an attitude of resentment or maybe you've already arrived at that place. Well, pray that God would give you the mind of Christ. Pray that God would give you the mind of Christ. You know, we need to pray for ourselves when we're in the midst of a difficult situation. When somebody wrongs us, we need to pray that our attitude's right too. And again, I say when, it's possible that sometimes we feel wronged when we haven't been wronged too. Maybe sometimes we make things up in our minds sometimes. And so we have to be careful. So we say, Lord, give me your mind. Help me to have your mind, the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what that mind is? Grace. When it's all said and done, that mind is grace. Everywhere Jesus went, he extended grace. Every time he did anything, it was always extended as a result of grace. He owed you and I nothing at all, but he gave us grace. Do you want the mind of Christ? You know what it is? Extending grace. See, that was the part that bothered me the most tonight on the way in. I got thinking about what Christ would have done. And I realized maybe, I I don't know, maybe he would have got angry at first. I don't know. But what I do know is he would have extended grace in the long run. And I thought, I better get to extending some grace here. And you know what? We need to learn to do that. You know, most of us are very quick to demand grace from others, or at least believe ourselves worthy of it. But when it comes to others, grace is often forgotten. See, rather, judgment is normally the order of business for us when it comes to other people. When, we, when in reality, we should be quick to extend the same grace we expect from others to others as well. So if, if we think that, that, you know, you just misunderstand me, you just don't understand. I, I mean, can't, you know, well, that's what you should be giving to them. That's what I ought to be giving to them. I need the mind of Christ. I need a mind of grace. And if there is an issue and we believe somehow that it's not being handled the way God would have it handled or it's not being addressed and dealt with in a very biblical or scriptural fashion, then we go to that person we deal with it. We address it. Man, are you, you know what? You ticked me off when you said this. You burnt my hide when you did that. What is... I could never go and say that to you. Oh, but you'll feel it. You'll think it. And then you'll let it fester inside till you get so angry, so upset that the pastor becomes your enemy. And then one day you look back and say, why are you so angry at the pastor? I don't know. It just, I just, something about him drives me nuts. Well, what is it? Put your finger on it. I don't really know. I just can't stand him sometimes. How's it ever get there? It gets there in marriages, by the way. That's how it gets in marriages. Because we're not honest with each other. We're not forthright with each other. You have to be direct in some things. And this is an area where, boy, you can't mess around with that. Don't let the devil steal your pastor from you. Don't let him do that to you. I mean, don't allow yourself to blame a man for for the conviction or possibly the condemnation or the correction that you feel. Don't, don't, you know, God's obviously at work if those things are happening in your life. And listen, again, I'll never say, I, I can never say the pastor will never be wrong. I can't do that. I cannot say that because I'm a man. Other pastors are just mere men. We get that. We understand that. However, a brother or sister in Christ would be wise to give someone they love or at least claim to have loved 
the benefit of the doubt until they can approach them personally. And again, don't wait till you've already made up your mind that things have gone too far before you approach your pastor. Don't wait that long. That's, that's what happens in counseling all the time with couples to me. They sit across from my, de- across from me in, in my desk, and, and one or the other says, I'm finished. I'm done. You'd be amazed how many throw their hands up like that, too. And I go, what do you mean you're done? This has been going on, too. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. Well, why are you sitting in front of me if you're done? Well, because I at least told him I'd go once. And, and that's just, that's, see, they justified now. I did it. I, I went to the pastor. I went to counseling, and it ain't working. No, you didn't. Your body may have been there, but you were a million miles away. And it went too long. Too much resentment built up. Too much anger rooted now in that relationship. And now you come to the pastor and say, okay, here it is. And as I talk for five minutes, somebody goes, I'm done. I'm finished. See, I can't deal with this no more. And you know what? That's what happens between people and their pastors. Now, again, there are some situations that are just downright scripturally, un- they're wrong. And if a pastor's not going to handle things from a biblical perspective and, and he can't at least express himself and say, this is the, the, the position I'm laying, this is the principle by which I'm ruling from. Then, then yeah, he, he needs to reconsider his where he's at. Because if it doesn't, it's not rooted in Scripture. If it doesn't have its place somehow, somewhere, somewhere in the Bible, then yeah, there's probably, it needs, to be, it needs to be dealt with on his end. But be careful. It, 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 listen, I don't believe a biblical, I do not believe this. I don't believe a biblical pastor can ever be the enemy of anyone. I'm talking about biblical. I'm not talking about just a rogue pastor I'm not talking about a hireling, as the Bible talks it about. I'm talking about a pastor that honestly loves God, loves the, the, the Word of God, loves souls, and loves people. And, and he understands. He, he is tempted to act like a fool sometimes, potentially. He has flesh, just like you have flesh. He can make mistakes, and he can say the, 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 the horrible things. He can make tremendous mistakes in his life, do what, all kinds of different things, have a bad program, put in, implement a bad policy. He can do all of those things. But hold on. I don't believe that inherently he ever intends to be anyone's enemy if he's genuinely a biblical pastor. For sure, may we never view the man of God as the enemy simply because he boldly proclaims the truth. May we never allow Satan to turn the truth into a dagger that when resisted causes so much pain that we desperately blame the pastor for it. Satan will gladly steal your pastor from you. He'll be glad to do that. Because here's the bottom line. Whether you understand this or not yet, you need your pastor. You need, according to the Bible, he is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 4, he is a gift to you. And how many times, sadly, have we heard of people who have, the pastors become the enemy? Hey, listen, you may not see eye to eye with your pastor. You may not agree with your pastor. And unfortunately, there are situations where maybe even you cannot remain under the leadership of your pastor. But I'm going to tell you this. Your pastor should never be your enemy. Because when your pastor becomes your enemy, it's because your heart needs fixed. 
if you really get down to it. And you should never be the pastor. Pastor shouldn't view you as the enemy either. No matter what. No matter what you say, no matter what you do. Because if you do, then he's lost sight of what his calling. He's lost sight of what God would have him be as a Christian, a man of God. He may not appreciate it. He may be upset with it. He may not like it a bit. But I promise you, if you would come to him in all sincerity, he would be willing to do what he could to help you and meet your needs. If he's a biblical pastor, mind you. So be careful with this issue. You know, we let problems grow too often in our lives. We let little things become big things. God never intended that. Deal with things. Face them. And if it involves your pastor, deal with him. He's just a person like you. And if you both love the Lord, I guarantee you can work these things out. And, uh, you know, we've not had, and again, I I told you, this is preventive maintenance for Community Baptist Temple. I'm not aware of this problem, if it is a problem. But boy, I don't ever want it to be a problem. And I don't think you want it to be one either. And so we we need to address that issue. So as we looked at this, we said a couple things. What can a brother or sister do that has either has begun to develop an attitude of resentment or, uh, or, or disgust or possibly anger or even, um, even greater, I don't know, toward the pastor. What can a brother or sister do? Remember what the pastor's done for you and your family in the past. You know, remember that. Number two, we said, don't forget what his job and responsibility is. Give him the benefit of the doubt, number three. Uh, number four, ask yourself, has his position changed or has mine? Number five, is his position on the matter rooted in scripture or a scriptural principle? And then ask yourself again, is mine? Number six, approach him personally. And number seven, pray that God would give you the mind of Christ. You know, the, the longer I live, the longer I'm involved in the ministry, and, my, and I'm talking about not ministry as a pastor, I just mean the ministry as a person. You know, I don't care if I was just, if I sat in the pew like I did for years listening to preachers. The longer I'm in this thing, the more I realize that most of my problems rest on me. I create most of my problems. You know, the, the conflict that I experience in my life is usually a result of me not handling things properly or biblically. Again, I'm not saying that people don't do wrong things. But, but, but still, how I handle those things, do I handle them scripturally or biblically? Most of what I find is that when I struggle, it's because I fail to follow the biblical concept or principle as he outlines it for me. Because I can't control you. I can only control me. And that is true in your life also. You can't control anybody else but yourself. So we tell married couples, you know, in this last retreat we talked about it, empowering yourself. You know, one of the things about marriage, and we started talking about this in the singles class, is the purpose of marriage is really ministry. So what that means is, is this. My purpose really uh, in, in, that, in, in the marriage is to, to minister. We're to submit one to another, the Bible says. Well, that's husband then is to submit to the need of the wife, and the, the wife's to submit to the need of the husband. And we say that the, the ministry, uh, marriage is a ministry. And what that means then is that I minister to my wife. Whether, and, and I don't know about you, but have you ever ministered to somebody? You don't get anything back usually. 
You minister to them as a, and they have a need. You provide them with groceries or you put shoes or clothing out there for them. And, and you, you, men in most cases, they might not even know that you did that. You're not getting anything in return as far as in that, in that sense. You're not going to get, you know, 10% over what you just gave or anything like that. You, you have these bus kids and we, we invest our time and our energy and our finances in them. I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about you as bus captains. I know we literally in our budget have a budget for the bus kids. And we make investments. Hold on. We're ministering to them. You know what? Those kids come and go, and you know what we don't get from them? Any money. We don't get usually even a pat on the back. You're ministering to them. You're doing what's in their best interest. You're trying to meet their need. And so your attitude has to be, I'm ministering. Because the moment you think they should be ministering to you, you're miserable. And that's what happens in marriages. He's there and he ought to be meeting my need. And she's there, she ought to be meeting my need. But if we have the proper perspective and we see things God's way, then we are ministers to our husband or wife. That means we minister to the wife, we minister to the husband. And that means whether they give anything back or not, it's really not the issue because I've made a decision to minister. Now I take control of that relationship. Now I'm the one in charge because I make a decision to minister to my wife and I can decide how much I'm going to minister, how, how often I'll minister and how I'm going to do that. Whether she responds or not, I can minister. I'm in charge. Nobody can take that from me. And you know what? That's how it is in our own lives. We make choices in how we're going to respond to people, respond to circumstances, respond to situations. And the question is, will we respond as outlined in the Word of God or not? Boy, the Galatians, they were responding... Not the way God intended them to respond. They would respond the way Satan would have them respond. Because this man of God cared about them and loved them. And all he was trying to do is help them by sharing the truth with them, telling them, telling them the way it was. And people turned their hearts toward Paul the apostle. And he finally comes and says, I'm afraid of you. Have I wasted my time? I've invested all of this effort and time in you and I'm concerned that it's going to be all for nothing. Not because I lose, but because you'll lose. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Is this how God would have you respond to my efforts and my, my intentions and my, and my, my work and my effort in, in, in your, your lives, your families? I don't know exactly 100% how it ends, but I got to believe that there were those in Galatia that finally said, you know what? We need to rethink our position on this. Paul did love us, and I think he still does. And we did love him, and we need to continue to do that. And I do believe that if we'll handle things in a biblical fashion in our own lives, we'll be amazed how much less conflict we'll experience how much better our Christian walk and life can be. And our marriages even, our homes, our families. And may God help us to do that. Father, we love you. We thank you again for all you mean to us. And help us, Lord, to address issues and handle things the way you would have us. And Lord, uh, uh, there's no doubt that, Father, uh, whether you're pastors or the people in the church, we're all just flesh, we're human. Lord, there will be areas and issues that need to be addressed and dealt with all the time. Because where there's flesh, there's always uh, problems. But Lord, help us to do things and handle things in the biblical fashion. 
Lord, may the truth be recognized as truth. And may we not be angry at the messenger of truth, whether it's a child in their home toward a parent or whether it's a, uh, a member of a church toward the pastor who's doing their best to try to lead the church. May each do things scripturally in the way it ought to be done. Now, Lord, we need you tonight. And Lord, we're asking you just to help us. Lord, I'm concerned for families. I'm concerned for couples. Lord, uh, I think about our couples retreat and some of those principles we learned. I pray we won't neglect those. And Lord, may we just uh, realize that, Father, whether it's a spouse that loves us or whether it's a, um, a pastor or some other authority, Lord, help us, Father, to be willing to hear the truth and to allow that truth, Father, to ultimately, as you said, make us free. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Music plays.